0: All right, we are going to be in the, the book of Daniel, chapter 9 is where we are, and um, I've got like a little, my little backstory just to bring you up to date if you haven't been here or you missed last week or last month or whatever. Um, the first part of Daniel, chapters 1 through 6, uh, tell the story of Daniel and his two uh, his three friends who are young men when they get there. Israel has been judged by God for disobeying him, for having other gods, uh, for having paganism in their lives. And so as a result, God, as he promised in the book of Jeremiah and elsewhere, Isaiah, he has them taken captive by the Babylonian empire. And so they're sort of in the penalty box Um, Daniel's going to speak about that because he's found a time marker in the scriptures. I'll get to that in a second, um, that, that they only will be in captivity for 70 years. And he knows the time is just, excuse me, just about up. Daniel is a a prophet and he's able to interpret dreams and, uh, he's interprets dreams and visions for others, but starting in chapter seven through 12, it's visions and prophecies that he gets himself that God gives him about the history of the world and about Israel specifically. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeremiah twenty nine ten says, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work, my good word, sorry, toward you and cause you to return to this place, the land of Israel. Daniel knows about that. He's going to mention that uh, in the beginning of Daniel 9. And um, so he's going to be praying for his people, Israel, in the early parts of chapter 9. But then chapter 9 verses 24 to 27 are considered the most amazing prophecy in the whole Old Testament, maybe in the whole Bible. So, I have a visual aid here for those of you that are here. For those of you that are on Zoom, I made one for you as a backdrop. It looks really hokey. I just want to warn you. Cheap productions over here. Um, our budget is not unlimited. And so I'll, I'll, I will I'll I put that up on the screen. It'll look like it's behind me um, in a little while. We were just experimenting here, weren't we, Jordan, earlier? Yeah. Okay, so um, the last thing I want to tell you is... Um, Um, that we're going to get a lesson tonight about prayer. Uh, Daniel is such a great example. He's one of two people in the Old Testament about whom nothing bad is said. If you think about it, Moses has his faults, Noah, David certainly, right? Um, Solomon, Adam, you, you know, come on. He's the reason we got in this jam in the first place, right? But David Daniel is one about whom nothing bad is said. The other one is Joseph in the book of Genesis, which we studied maybe six or seven years ago. Okay, so that's the backstory. Let's dive in. We're going to pick it up in verse 1, even though we were really in verse 3 or 4 is where we left off. But just to give you the flavor of where we are in chapter 9. Those of you that are here and those of you on Zoom, so I know you're awake, say amen. amen. That was a good one. All right, Daniel 9 verse 1, in the first year of Darius, or Darius is how most people pronounce it, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian empire in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that's the verse I read, that the desolation of Jerusalem and the captivity that they're in would last 70 years. He knows that it's Pretty close to being over. He's not exactly sure when God hit the stopwatch for the 70 years, but he knows it's close. So, um, uh, Darius or Darius was back in chapter right around six, I think, or five, that we met him. After the Babylonians lost their kingdom, the Medes and the Persians, he was the head guy there. It's kind of a title as well as a name. They took over and they conquered the Babylonian empire, the Medes and the Persians, which became just the Persian empire. What we've seen is the prediction that there's going to be the Babylonian empire, then the Persians, then the Greek empire, and then the Roman empire, and then some final um, empire that is iron mixed with clay. Iron was symbolic of the Romans. Clay is people. So in some ways it's weaker than just iron, that final kingdom, which is still, I'm going to show you, I think, yet future. Okay. So he knows from the scroll of, of uh, uh, the scriptures, it says books uh, in some versions of the scriptures, but it's really, they didn't have books, then they had scrolls that you would unroll. He's got a copy of Jeremiah and he knows about that scripture. I read that it's only going to be 70 years. so. Instead of sitting on his laurels and saying, well, you promised 70 years any day now, you're going to see that he has such a heart for his people that he's going to represent them in prayer. And I'm going to show you that. Although it's decreed, God said 70 years, the question could be asked, what if Daniel didn't even pray? Would God have still done it? And that's open to discussion. But he did pray. God moved him to pray. And the whole point of this is that prayer changes circumstances and things, if you will. Verse 3, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. Okay, so that's not typical for our day. Some of it is, but the first thing he does is he turns to the Lord God. Do you see that? Most versions of the Bible, Lord, is is it in yours? All capital letters, L-O-R-D, not? Oh, it is. Okay. It, it should be. In the Old Testament, when you see the word God, it's usually the word El, E-L, which means God, but it's literally, this is interesting, a plural. It's el Okay. You say, well, that, wouldn't that be God's? Yes. But the Hebrew Shema, there's one God in Judaism. Okay. But even in Genesis 1-1, it's Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim, gods in a way. Um, Will you say, well, were they pluralistic in their thoughts about deity? No. They believed in one God, but yet God directed them to use that plural because I believe that means God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the three are the one God. Um Let's see. So I turn to the Lord God. So God is in there. The word Lord, when it's all caps, is the word Yahweh, God's personal name. Okay, He's using both the title God and his personal name. When you see capital L-O-R-D, it is four letters, Y-H-W-H. They call it the tetragrammatron. Tetra means four. Um, Y-H-W-H. When you insert vowels, it's Yahweh, but we're not positive that's the pronunciation, but it's the most likely one. But Jews considered God's name so holy, they wouldn't speak it for fear that they spoke it incorrectly and would be hit by lightning or some sort of judgment kind of thing. But that's the Lord God. He turns to the Lord God and notice he pleaded with him in the following ways. Prayer and petition, sort of two ways of saying the same thing. Prayer involves praise, worship, Uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. We've been through that whole list. Remember that? The acronym is ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. What should be the ingredients in every prayer, uh, among other things. In any case, petition is asking for things, but he doesn't just dive in and go, here's what I want. You're going to see that he is a model for praying because he's praying God's will back to God not here's what I will do this, get in line with me. He's saying, I want to get in line with your will. But to do so involves um, great uh, confession and tears because the people have sinned. That's why they're in the predicament they're in. So par- prayer and petition, verse three, in fasting. What's fasting? It's the, the per- per- um, purposeful withholding from yourself of something pleasurable. It can be food for an hour, food for six weeks, be a little tough, wouldn't it? Food for a whole day. Some people fast food and water for a whole day, some more than a whole day. Why do you do that? So the people will see that you're fasting and think you're all holy? No, just the opposite. Jesus talks about in the New Testament and says, when you're fasting, wash your face, put on your clothes and go out and do your normal and don't make it look like, oh, I'm fasting, so people will think you're holy. The purpose is so that you can concentrate on God, so that when you're feeling hungry or thirsty, you can say, you are my food, you are my nourishment, you are my uh, th- the thing that uh, satisfies my thirst, if you will. A way of um, praying with greater um, sort of tenacity. Uh, I don't know how else to put it, but Prayer and fasting in sackcloth and ashes. You say, what's that? Sackcloth and ashes was a sign of great mourning. God forbid if I was um, a husband and I had a, 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 a wife and we had children, and God forbid we lost one of our children, that would be an occasion where if you saw me and I was a Jew at this time, the grief would be so much that I would put ashes on my face and wear sackcloth as a a sign of extreme mourning and just being completely beside myself with grief, okay? Also, humility. He's doing all of that. You say, well, did he lose a child? No, he never was married, probably. He's mourning and fasting and praying and pleading and petitioning God all because of the sin of his people and the predicament they've been in. So he turns to God as a first resort, notice, not a last resort. Verse four, I prayed to the Lord, my God, there's the, the, the um, and you should have capital L there, as uh, O-R-D as well, and confessed. Remember in our acronym, there's always confession in legit prayer. So he confessed, O oh Lord, the great and awesome God, this is verse four, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and and obey his commands. The first thing he does is he's praising God. He's going to get to the confession, but he's calling God what? Great, awesome. And he's reminding himself and God that God always keeps his covenant of love. That's a promise, if you will. God never goes back on any of his promises. He's 100% reliable. He's praising God for his faithfulness in the midst of, he's about to contrast the unfaithfulness of his Jewish uh, fellow Jews, if you will, uh, of Israel, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. So already there's a hint that the Jews haven't kept up their end of the bargain. God always keeps up his end. But you look at that phrase and you say, well, did they love him and obey his commands? And the answer is no. That's why they're captive in Babylon, which is now uh, run by the or controlled by the Medes and the Persians. So he's praising God for his absolute faithfulness. Um, the word for, Lord, for uh, <clears throat> the other word for Lord is Adonai. Uh, it, means, it, just, it means Lord, basically. Um, you may have heard the name of God being Jehovah. Anybody heard that? Okay. Technically, that's not the name of God. Okay. I got news for the Jehovah's Witnesses who are about a quarter mile down the road, right? The way the name Jehovah came to be was Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. When translated into Greek, it becomes J H V h okay Jehovah yeah then they took the vowels from the word adonai which is lord in hebrew and inserted them into j h v h and got jehovah is it a sin to call god jehovah no but his literal name is yahweh we refer to him as lord master god right father right um just wanted to throw that in at no extra charge okay um He keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. Verse 5, and he just dives into confession. Those evil Jews have sinned and done wrong. Is that what it says? He says we. Now listen, he's a man, so he's a sinner. But like I said, nothing bad is said about Daniel in the whole scripture. You can't say that about all the other people I mentioned, David and Noah, etc., Moses We have sinned as a people. Surely he has sinned, but he's including himself in it and done wrong. We've broken your laws. Sin is, by definition, the breaking of God's laws. Literally, it's a word that means missing the mark, the target, the bullseye. And you can miss the bullseye by this much and barely just kind of sin here and there, and you're just as guilty to God, as if you miss the mark, you throw it at the bullseye and you hit the wall over here. You're not even close. It slipped out of your hand. It's all missing the bullseye, right? We say in this Bible study sometimes that sin, everybody has a window, a window pane. Some people sin with a baseball bat and just break it to smithereens. Some people just throw a rock and says a crack. It's all a broken window to God. We need a savior because you can't Pay for your own sins. We've sinned and done wrong. Absolute confession, no, well, but you know, it wasn't all our fault. There's no excuses given. We have been wicked and have rebelled, meaning against God, against Him. We have turned away from your commands and your laws. That has the idea of turning away from, like if this is scripture, we've turned away from it. You show me a culture that turns away from the Bible, from the rule of of God, the, the law of God, I'll show you a culture that is sinking fast in immorality, okay? Guess who I'm talking about? Somebody's pointing, the U.S. of A, right? You can't teach God's word in school nowadays. I mean, you can squeak by here and there, but it's really not, it's frowned upon, isn't it, in the U.S.? In the early, as er, recently as the early 1900s, in schools in America, they taught penmanship, you know, writing carefully. And they would give the kids a a book of uh, the Bible and say, write out Psalm 23, write out the Gospel of John chapter 14 in American schools. You see how we've just slowly been moving away from God. Why all the problems in America? I'm trying to tell you, we've been moving away from God for some time now in this 1960s, but it really started before that. But really, 60s and 70s, man, we went off base. Okay, we've sinned and done wrong. And by the way, as I'm reading this, don't hear me reading this and think, yeah, those Jews, boy, they were jerks. What sinners? I'm talking about us as well, Okay kind of doing two things at once. So keep half your brain on the Jews because they had sinned and the other on, yeah, we, we're not doing well either, okay? And I don't mean to say, yeah, those American unbelievers, they have we've sinned as well, okay? Remember, there's sins of commission, things you commit, that's a sin. There's sins of omission, things you should have done that are commanded that you didn't do, right? We've sinned. So we're right along with Daniel praying this. And the lesson is we ought to be praying for America. I'll talk more about that later and make you feel even more guilty. Let's keep rolling. We have sinned and done wrong, verse five, been wicked. We've rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and your laws. Verse six, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Now, the Jews had prophets sent to them, didn't they? We haven't listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. You say, well, that's not America, right? Because we haven't, we haven't had prophets here. Listen, there are literal prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, uh, whoever, Habakkuk, Micah. and I'm not going to go through the whole list, but listen we have their writings. Are we listening? Well, we're reading one now, right? Daniel's a prophet. But in the same way, prophets foretold the future, but they also spoke for God and for, um, forth telling forth of God's word. So in a sense, your pastor, um, somebody you listen to on the radio that's a Christian giving Christian teaching, or even me, in a sense, we are prophesying, not giving the future, not telling the future. I'm not a prophet in that sense, but in the sense of just speaking forth God's word is prophesying, if you will. Uh, in the Bible, it's, it's used that way, the word is. So we n- haven't listened. This is confessing. Who spoke in your name to our kings, princes, fathers, and to all the people of the land. He's confessing on behalf of His people, the Jews. Verse seven, more praise. Right in the midst of all that confession, Lord, you are righteous. But this day we are covered with shame. Do you see the contrast? You're perfectly holy. Righteous means to be absolutely right, absolutely perfect. There's no sin in God, there's not even the hint of sin in God. He's not even tempted to sin. You are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame, the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, because they've been scattered in all the countries where you've scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. He's recognizing we're in this predicament because we earned it, right? We sinned against God, and as a result, that's why we are Um, out of Israel, can't worship in Jerusalem. The temple hasn't been um, consecrated again. The whole city's in shambles. We deserve what we're getting. Absolute confession. We need to be doing this for America, folks. Because if you're waiting for unbelievers, politicians, lawyers, newscasters to do it, don't hold your breath. If the church isn't going to step up and do it, who's going to do it? right for america we kill we have killed in this country tens of millions of unborn children oh is that a sin yeah right it's a sin i'm not saying there isn't forgiveness if you if that's you're something that's uh, you have uh, participated in there's always forgiveness when there's repentance and confession to god but it's an abomination that that many children have been killed in our country um, let's see. Verse eight. 8, oh O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. Now, sin, the breaking of God's law, either by omitting things we should have done or by committing things, has been the norm on planet earth since the garden of Eden, right? Since Adam and Eve sinned, there's been nobody that couldn't pray this prayer. Oh no, I haven't sinned. And I'm basically a good person. And who's making the criteria for what's a sin and what's righteousness. If it's God's law, then we're all sinners, right? The Bible also presents the case that not only are we sinners, but there's absolutely no solution right? In and of ourselves. Well, I'll work harder at doing good deeds, which will outweigh my bad deeds. And then God will owe me. Forget about it. I like to tell people who think that, well, I do a lot of good, you know, good for you. You know, for every sin that you sin, either in your thoughts or your mind or your uh, thoughts or your actions or your words, think of it as that's a debt of a million dollars every single time in heaven that you owe but for every good thing you do, God's going to put a nickel to your credit. Good luck on that. You're never going to earn your way to heaven. I'm going to look how good I'm being God, right? What does Isaiah say when he sees God face to face? All our righteousness, speaking for his people, are is as filthy rags, right? Hence the need for a savior, right? The Lord Jesus Christ who took our shame and the guilt and our sin and our punishment in our place. But we digress. Let's keep rolling. I'm looking at my notes here too. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. Hang on. Okay. So he is praising God, but he is just pouring out the confession, isn't he? In no uncertain terms. Um, every person is unrighteous compared to God. So, um, the, the temptation for human beings, though, we've all done it, right, is I'm not as bad as him. I've never done what, she, I would never do what she did, right? We like to kind of, I'm not that bad. Come on, I'm not Saddam Hussein, who'd be way high on the list. Any sin, the book of James says, if you break one commandment, you're guilty of breaking all. That's that broken window I spoke of earlier. Let's keep rolling, shall we? Are you still awake? Say amen. Amen. How about you people online? Are you awake? Okay, I see. Ooh, Tom raised both his arms like a touchdown. Way to go. Okay, um, let's go back to the text. Um, so he's not complaining about the, the predicament they're in, he's confessing. Let's keep rolling. Verse nine the Lord our God, now he's talking about God in the third person. The Lord our God, he is merciful and forgiving, even though We've rebelled against him. I like to define terms because we have these religious terms that we throw around, and there probably is always somebody in the room that goes, what is mercy? What is grace? Are they the same thing? Mercy is God withholding the extreme punishment we deserve. God withholding in his mercy and love the bad stuff you and I deserve. You with me so far? Well, what's grace? Isn't that the same thing? No, it's kind of the opposite, but it's good. Grace is God giving us the good stuff we can't earn or deserve. You see how they're kind of, Pablo raised his arms. Praise God. Amen. Um, God, our loving, the Lord, our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Indeed, he's so merciful, he could have wiped the Jews out, right? They had the benefit of the prophets. They have the law of God, the Old Testament, and they were ignoring it. He could have said, I'll find some, instead of the Jews, I'm going to pick the Irish or the Japanese or even the Italians, right? Amen. Okay. Instead, he's merciful and forgiving. Verse 10, we, talking about his Jewish people, but it applies to you and I as Christians and to you and I as Americans even more so. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants the prophets. Now when it says kept the laws we I like to say in this Bible study that the Bible when it comes to the laws of God and the commandments of God is not a smorgasbord, right? It's not a buffet. What do you mean? You go to a buffet, you are not required to eat a little of every single thing, right? Unless my parents are with me. They go, eat your spinach. I don't want spinach, right? You pick the things you like, and I I don't like pork. I'm going to have the hamburger, and I'm going to have the whatever, this kind of salad. I don't want fruit salad. It's not a smorgasbord. We can't pick and choose. I'm going to obey this scripture, but that one I don't think applies to me. That's kind of what the Jews were doing, right? Um, Let's see. Um, We haven't obeyed, verse 10, the Lord our God, or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. Verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Sounds like Romans 3. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Still in verse 11, therefore, Here it comes. The curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we've sinned against you. He's not complaining, Oi, why me, God? You know that Chris Christopherson song, Why Me, Lord? You ever heard that song? It's a great song. He's not saying that. I get it. I know why we're here. We're guilty. You're right in punishing us. The punishment of God on his people is always with the goal of reconciliation and redemption, right. To get them to turn from their sin. Right. My old pastor in Santa Cruz, uh, Roy craft used to say, what does God have to do to get your attention? He was a little short guy and that's how he talked. What does God have to do to get your attention? Uh, let's see. All Israel we've transgressed your law. We've turned away. Um, and, it, and that's why the curses have been poured out on us, because we've sinned against you. Now, listen, in the Garden of Eden was the first time there were curses poured out. Do you remember that? They sinned against God. What are the curses? Well, you'd have to read uh, Genesis 3. We won't go there now, but ladies, can I get an amen? Pain and childbirth. That's a curse from Adam and Eve. You can thank them when you get to heaven if they're up there, right? Men, we have weeds in our garden. We have to work by the toil, uh, by the sweat of our brow. Um, they were kicked out of, this is the big one, paradise. That's what the Garden of Eden was. God's been trying to get us back ever since in that. That's what heaven is, the Garden of Eden with one exception. No Satan to mess it up right no no possibility of sin where we're headed but in the meantime there are curses on planet earth that's why the death rate you ready for this statistic is 1 per person we're all going to make it right sooner or later every human being dies of their last accident or their injury or sickness the only exception would be if there's a rapture, right? Other than that, it's pretty much a hard and fast rule. That's why there's locks on doors because people steal. That's why there's injuries, sickness. That's why there's divorce. That's why there's child abuse, stealing, etc. cetera, because we have the curse on us because of Adam and Eve are federal heads of the human race. Um, verse 12. Verse 11 says, the curses have been poured out on us because we've sinned against you. Verse 12 says, you, God, have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Lost their land, lost their temple, couldn't worship prisoners in other countries. Under the whole heaven, still the middle of verse 12, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. And it happened again. And again, this is, you know, around 530 BC when he's saying this. Remember what happened in 70 AD? It really got trampled. Remember the temple torn down stone by stone? Look at Nazi Germany. Six million Jews are killed. Why have the Jews been through so much pain and heartache? God is trying to spank them back into submission. They missed it. They said, no, thanks. To the Messiah, their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Will they one day believe? Absolutely. Read Romans 11 if you think I'm wrong. Verse 13, just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. He's saying we should have immediately been repenting and we didn't do it. We have uh, broken your laws and we didn't seek reconciliation. Seek your favor. By Notice how do you do that? Just praying? No. Notice the repentance in verse 13. Turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. That's what we're doing, whether you're on Zoom or you're here. We're giving attention to God's word, the Bible, right? No better uh, way to spend your time. Uh, verse 14 the Lord did not, all caps again, did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. There's no pointing your finger. You ever, you ever meet people that are mad at God? Why did you do this? Man, there's no way we can say that. We may not understand why something happened. We have to trust that it's all in his good will for us. Romans eight twenty eight. all things Work together for good to them that love God, who are the called ones according to his purpose. Um, so he's, he's saying um, he's God's righteous in everything he's doing. Even this punishment, we deserved it. Yet we have not obeyed him. End of verse 14. Verse 15. Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, who made yours, for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. What he's saying there is how important it is to remember. What do you mean? That this Egypt thing with Moses is many hundreds of years ago, right? That's ancient history. Oh no, not to him. It's in the word. We need to see that as an example. The Jews were in that predicament for the same reason they had sinned and. Through their repentance, God rescues them single-handedly. Moses, yeah, raises the staff. Yeah, I watched Ten Commandments this weekend as well. Um, Restored color, right? Anybody watch it? It's it's so crisp and clear. Anyway, um, it's it's important that we remember. Remember what? All the stories in the Bible. Are you sick? Remember the healings Jesus did. Does Jesus always heal in this lifetime? No but we remember God's faithfulness in his word, but there's more remember God's faithfulness in your history, your history, right? When he came through with this. So you see, now you look back and you go, that's why I met them. And that they became like family to me, or that's why this happened. And all God's plan always remember, um, Let's see. That's why he's remembering the Egypt thing. God brought him out with a mighty hand and he made for himself, made for yourself, God, a name that endures to this day. That word spread, right? Because Pharaoh would not, was not having it with this Hebrew God. And he ended up realizing after a lot of plagues, right? Slapping him around the face a little. Wow. This guy's for real. This God is for real. We have sinned. We have done wrong. There's confession, confession again. Verse 16, O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. He's getting to something here, which is for your sake and your glory, God, I'm praying your people are in sackcloth and ashes, our cities in ruins, restore us to, there as, to that city as we repent and to blessing so that you will be glorified, not that the Jews will be glorified. That's sort of where he's going with that. Verse 17, now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servants, talking about himself, hear my prayer for your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate temple sanctuary. He's saying for your glory, because the pagans are looking at the Jewish temple going, it's in shambles. It's a mess. Where's their God? He's in a way saying you, God, will receive glory as we repent and you restore us because your temple will be rebuilt. Your worship will again take place in your temple. Um, So that's his uh, confession and petition. Give ear, verse 18, O God, and hear, open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name, Jerusalem. Uh, Yerushalayim, I think it is in Hebrew. That's probably a terrible pronunciation. Give ear and hear, open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. He's really pouring his heart out to God. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous. Did you catch that? I'm not praying this to show you, you owe us, look how holy we are. Just the opposite, right? He recognizes that they have no reason to ask for anything. Everything is mercy. Everything is grace. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he got free food from the hand of the Father. Okay. Um, Give your, open your eyes, see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We don't make requests of you because we're righteous, but because of your great mercy. We know we don't deserve leniency in the courtroom of of your courtroom. We're asking for your mercy because you're righteous. Verse 19, Lord, listen, Lord, forgive. By the way, I think this prayer, most, uh, most of the commentaries I read said what I'm about to tell you is true. This is a condensing of a prayer that might have gone on for hours and hours and hours, right? He's been known in this book to be, in the book of Daniel, to be a guy that just prays and prays and prays. This is a a condensation of that prayer. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. I'm still in verse 19. For your sake, my God. Do not delay for his sake. Yes, for his glory, to show his mercy, to show his blessing on his people. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Prayer that is the prayer that works, the prayer that is effective. Listen, First John 5 says, it's a key verse for prayer, right? If you don't go to First John 5, you might read, and it's not untrue, John 14, where Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, what does it say? I'll consider it. No, it says, I'll do it. Right. Good one, Winston. Right? So you may think, oh, so in your name, I pray in Jesus' name. You just tack that on at the end of any request. I want a 10 Mercedes and a huge house on the beach in Jesus' name. I I prayed in Jesus' name. Is that in What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Tack it on to the end of a prayer. It means to pray in the spirit of what Jesus is all about. It means to pray his will back to him. There's no book of Mercedes, right? Or beach house in the Bible that I've seen, right? So we pray his will back to him. 1 John 5, I can't remember, 14, 15, right in there, says, if we ask anything, talking to Christians listen to this and it be in accordance with his will we know that he hears us and if he hears us we know that we have the thing that we requested so sometimes you can know what's the will of god watch this i'm married okay And I'm, somebody's married. I shouldn't say me. I am married, but somebody's married. Harry over here is married and he's praying. Yes, I know I'm married, Lord, but I'm really attracted to the secretary at work. Please make that relationship happen. Is that God's will? Do you really have to pray that? Okay, here's another one. I really hope to have more heroin. If you could help me get, it's not in God's will. Don't bother. Okay, but here's one. Lord, I have a job opportunity in Detroit, and I have a job opportunity in Miami, and I want your will. Now, you can't read in the Bible, oh, Miami, okay. You can't read in the book of Job, Job, right? Um, Which job you're supposed to take, bad joke, but you just pray and you can pray, Lord, open doors where you want me and close them where you don't. I, I want to do your will, because you can't know that's his unrevealed will. Should I take the job? Maybe neither job might be the answer, right? Or I'm thinking of moving to Chicago. Show me if that's what you want me to do. She's going, no, don't go there. Okay. Sorry, those of you that live in Chicago, write your letters to post office box uh, Um, Let's see. It's almost time to take our break. Let's keep rolling because we want to move through this and get to the meat and potatoes, you might say. Um, Let's see. So um, we pray God's will back to him. His revealed will is things like spiritual things, right? I've said this before. I won't go through the whole prayer, but if you read the Lord's prayer, uh, Matthew 6, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Take each phrase and ask yourself, is this earthly, physical realm, or spiritual? And almost everything in that prayer is spiritual, right? The only one that is questionable is, um, give us this day our daily bread. Okay, that's physical, but there's scholars that think he's talking about Jesus is the bread of life, and the word is the bread, true food and all that. Even that might be spiritual. My point is how much of our prayers are earthly stuff, which, by the way, is okay to pray for so-and-so who's ill. You heard me do it, right? Pray for our nation. That's all earthly. But I pray, God, that you'd reveal my sin to me and help me to repent. Make me useful for your kingdom. Draw me closer in your word. Reveal your word to me. That's all spiritual well, but is it God's will? For, of course it is, right? Help me not to sin in this way that is my burden. Is that God's will? Every single time. There's no question. You're praying his will back to him. Let's take our two-minute break. It's a good place to do it. I'm going to turn my screen off for two minutes, and I'll be right back, I promise. All right, we're back in Daniel chapter 9. Um, Yes, I did. Thank you for reminding me. At my age, I need the reminder. Yes, it's all on. Uh, Those of you on on Zoom, say amen or wave so I know you can hear me and see me. Good. Good to see you, Richard. I see you there. All right. We're back in Daniel 9. Um, Now we've heard Daniel pray. I told you it's an abbreviated version of the prayer, almost certainly, but I want you to see something, but I want to say, give you an advisory, don't get your hopes up. You say, why are you saying that? You'll see. Verse 20, he's just been pouring out his heart to God, right? He praised God. He thanked God. He confessed. He asked for things. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Verse 20 blows my mind. I wish I could tell you this is always what happens when you pray, and it ain't. Verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, an angel, showed up. The man I had seen earlier in the vision, he just means he looked like a man. He knows he's an angel. He came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. While he was still praying, This is like getting on the phone, you dial an 800 number, you go, I'd like to order um, some food to go, and there's a knock at your door, and there's the food, right? Like, don't get your hopes up, right? Sometimes we pray, and it's God's will, and he intends to answer our prayer, and he intends to wait four years, nine months, and seven days. Sometimes it's 20 minutes. Sometimes it's instant, like this. Don't get your hopes up. He doesn't often do this, but sometimes he does. Amen. Sometimes you pray and you get the sense, the peace that although I don't see what I'm asking for, I just have a peace. God heard me. And when the time is right, he's going to give it to me. Listen, the waiting period is always by divine decree according to our need, not God's. By that, I mean, he builds our faith as we wait. There are things I have prayed for for 10 years, 12 years, right? And I, I still don't see it. Does that make me pray it any less? No way. I'm still praying, right? Same with you. Uh, how many have unsaved loved ones, right? Or family members? Are you going to stop praying? Hey, I prayed for two months. God's not hearing me. Forget it. We pray without ceasing, Remember? But this is so awesome. God answers the prayer. You're going to see an even more immediate answer than the knock on the door in a second. While I was speaking, verse 20, and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, making my request to the Lord my God, while I was still in prayer, verse 21, Gabriel, and he sends an angel. The man I'd seen in the vision came to me in swift flight. One of the few places we see in the Bible where angels fly. Now, it may be just a symbolic way of saying sp- speedy, you know, um, travel, okay? Because angels really live in a different dimension is how I look at it, okay? And heaven is not necessarily up as it is. The he- kingdom of heaven is among you. It's not far from you. It's not, God is not far from any one of us, uh, the Bible says. But it's a dimension we can't imagine, but somehow the angel, speedily, God goes, go. He's praying, and I like what he's saying, go now. He's praying my will back to me. Amazing. Instantly, he shows up. About the time of the evening sacrifice. What's that? Jews had the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. The evening sacrifice, you and I hear evening, and we, we think, oh, what is that, 8.30 at night, 9 o'clock? 3 p.m. The evening sacrifice. Because remember, the day for a Jew ends at sundown, 6 p.m. ish. The evening sacrifice, 3 p.m. When normally they would be sacrificing lambs, the, a, a priest would be a, a lamb um, in the evening sacrifice. That's when the angel shows up. Are they sacrificing lambs in Jerusalem? No. The temple is empty. It's desecrated. Um, that's the time the angel chooses to show up the angel Gabriel. Uh, Verse 22, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Meaning what? This is not going to be a riddle that you're going to scratch your head and go, I have no idea what you just said. It's meant to be understood by Daniel. I believe also by you and me. Uh, I'll show you why. Um, He instructed me, I've come to give you insight and understanding. This is, there's no question there's a connection between the prayer of Daniel, the confession of Daniel on behalf of his people, the humility of Daniel in sackcloth and ashes, weeping, praying, and this answer. Okay. How many know the word in English? Coincidence. You ever heard of that? Maybe it's just a coincidence the angel showed up. I got news for you. In Hebrew, there is no word for coincidence they don't have a word they believe everything happens for a reason what a coincidence we were on vacation and we ran into it's a divine interruption right a divine appointment you didn't see it on your appointment book god had it there a trillion years ago okay no coincidence the angel shows up he's going to give him wisdom insight and understanding verse 23 here's the mind blow are you ready? As soon as you were done praying, is that what 23 says? As soon as you began to pray, it blows my mind. A word went out, no doubt from God, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. As soon as he began to pray, does that blow anybody's mind besides mine? Wow and we're here on earth bowing our heads praying thinking is this even going beyond the ceiling is any do i have to yell can god hear me listen you pray according to god's will in the name of the lord jesus christ he hears you as a matter of fact he can do what you and i can't which is hear your Thoughts. Aren't you glad we can't hear each other's thoughts? Anyway, he hears your thoughts. You don't have to say it out loud. You have to say it in Hebrew or with an English accent. You can just think something. You ever been talking to somebody and you're thinking, please, Lord, give me the words to say to this person? In your head, you don't say it with your mouth. God hears. As soon as he starts praying, mind blowing. Okay, starting in verse 24 are are the four verses 24, 25, 26, 27 are the prophecy that Bible scholars say is the most amazing prophecy in the whole Bible, okay? And um, let's see. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton said about this passage that you could just on these four verses stake the whole reputation of Christianity and the Bible on these four verses. That's how amazing he thought it was. Okay. And I think he's right. Okay. It's going to sound like a riddle. It's not a riddle. Uh, In a second, for those of you, those of you that are here, I have like a visual aid here of a timeline. Okay. I'll explain it. For those of you on Zoom, um, I have made a crude background that I'm about to put up. I have to warn you, it looks hokey. Okay. And it even makes me look hokey because it's like a green screen with something behind you. I'm going to put it up after I explain. Um, Okay, here we go. Verse 24. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Okay, six things are God's purpose in these 77s, you go, well, wait, wait, let's go back to the beginning. What's a seven? Okay. The word is literally 77s. Some translations have here 70 weeks. Okay. But they are, um, think of it this way. If I said, oh, there's Ken. I haven't seen Ken for two decades. Nobody would say, well, how many years has it been since you've seen him? You can do the math, right? Two decades, 10 years per decade. Okay, this isn't decades, not periods of 10 years. That's the word decade. This is weeks or periods of seven years. You got the picture? How many of them are there? 70. 70 periods of seven years. Seven years, seven years, 70 of those. So those of you that are good in math with a calculator, 70 times seven is what forty-nine with a zero after it, right? Seven times seven is forty-nine. Add the zero. Seventy weeks of years. Seventy times seven. He's saying, "I'm going to give you the time frame. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to accomplish in those four hundred ninety years, and I'm going to tell you the six things we're going to accomplish." Here it is again. Seventy sevens are decreed. Meaning what? If God decrees it, you think it's not going to happen? going to happen, right? To the letter. Are decreed for your people. Who's that? The Jews, okay? Although this is world history, it's for the Jews, okay? And your holy city. What city is that, class? Jerusalem, okay? Because he's, he's been praying, please bring my people back to uh, Jerusalem so we can worship you, forgive us, all of that. Here's the answer. 77s are decreed for your people, Jews, holy city, Jerusalem. To do six things, three are negative, three are positive. They're actually all positive, but three have a negative connotation. Number one, finish transgression. Transgression is a synonym for sin. Finish transgression. Okay, wait, transgression is sin? Yes. So to finish transgression would mean an a complete and total end of sin forever. Has that happened? No. Most of you sinned in the last 20 minutes since you've been in here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, To finish transgression, that alone is incredible because that's what got us into the problem. And the Garden of Eden started transgression, sin. And since then, we're kids of Adam and Eve, way down the line, and they sinned, and guess what we do? we sin. Imagine he's talking about a world where sin is done. It's not lessened. We're going to flatten the curve on sin. We're going to wear masks. for. Sin. It's done. Finish transgression. Another way to put it, put an end to sin. Wow. To atone for, pay for wickedness. Okay. That one is done. When was it done? At the cross, right? Jesus, the only person that could pay for sin, paid for sin. Abraham couldn't do it. David could do it. Moses, Noah, nobody could do it. Not even Daniel, not even Joseph. Nobody could do it. Jesus did it. That one's done. There's a sense in which the finishing of transgression and its effects is done but we don't feel the effects of it. We still live in a world with sickness, disease, sin, injury, insults, all that stuff. Finish transgression, put an end to sin, atone for wickedness. Notice sin, transgression, wickedness, all synonyms, pretty much. To bring in, I hear the positive stuff, everlasting righteousness, perfection, spiritually. You say, if you're honest, I can't even imagine This world you're talking about. We're talking about heaven, right? And it can't happen by magic. Jesus had to pay the price, right? But he has to come back and finish the transaction. We'll get to that too. Okay, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy to the point at which all visions, all prophecies in the Bible, listen, are completed no more visions, no more prophecies. They've all been fulfilled. It's all... Oh, wow. (laughs) Hello. My phone is ringing. There we go. Um, It's all done. All prophecy is over forever. How many know that there'll be no prophecy in heaven? I mean, can you read Daniel if you want in heaven? Of course. But there'll be no prophet going, thus saith the Lord... The Lord will be face to face with you and me, right? There'll be no need for a prophet, no more vision, no more prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Place is implied there, but it is place. Anoint the most holy. Now, scholars disagree on this. Is that the temple in Jerusalem? A lot of people think it is. Is the most holy um, the people of God who are his temple. In a sense, that's also true. Okay. That's the one that's hard to nail down in verse 24 more than the uh, other ones. Um, let's see. Let's see. Okay. I'm getting ahead of myself here. All right. Um, so that's a pretty big laundry list of stuff God says he's going to accomplish in 490 years. It turns out the 490 years. Are mostly consecutive, but there is a break and there's a pause in the timing, and then it starts again toward the end. I'll explain with the timeline. You can kind of already see it. I'm going to put the timeline up in a second on Zoom, and you're all going to laugh at me. But anyway, um, let's finish verse 25. Know and understand this. You know what that? Is, you know why that's there? Because he's saying this is not a riddle. Get this. Get a pen figure it out. Now he's going to give you the timeline, because right now all we know is there's 490 years floating in space. You know what would be helpful? When does it start? Because then if it's you know when it starts, you can figure it out. No one understand this. From the time the word or the order or the decree goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, you know, which would have to be some king doing that, until the anointed one, that's the word Mashiach, Messiah, okay, in Hebrew, Christos is Christ in Greek, Mashiach is the same word uh, in Hebrew, Messiah, anointed one, until Messiah, the ruler comes, so now we have a starting point, whenever there was a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, well, it turns out there were four of them, hmm, that complicates matters. However, Artaxerxes Longimanus, the fourth one he gave is the one that fits. You say, why is that? Keep reading. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench or a a moat, it says, King James, I believe, but in times of trouble. Okay. That's the one Artaxerxes Longimanus. He's the one who gave the order. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere. Where is that? Nehemiah early chapters of Nehemiah. Okay. Is it possible to date when this occurred? The answer is really close. Okay. It's either 444 BC or 445 BC. Now we have a starting point. The Jews should have known when Christ showed up. Let's keep reading. So from the order to rebuild, we have a starting point now. Until the anointed one comes, the ruler, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Okay, so why the seven and then the 62? Because seven and 62 is 69, right? So the total is 69 sevens or 483 years. We know the starting date. We know 483 years. Why is it seven and then 62? Because the first seven years, Nehemiah and Ezra have a terrible time with all kinds of roadblocks put in their way to get this temple rebuilt. They have to clear out a bunch of stuff, clean up a bunch of stuff. That's the seven. For now, forget the seven. Just think seven and 62 is 69. Times seven is 483. Are you completely lost now? Okay, perfect. We know it's 445 or 444 BC. Um, We even know that it's March of that year that Artaxerxes gave the order. Okay. You Jews can go back what the Jews had been waiting for. Now I'm going to, should I do my little diagram? No, I'm not going to do it yet. I'll do it in a second uh, for the people on zoom. Stay with me on zoom. Are you awake? Say amen. Okay. Let's read the scripture and then we'll come back and uh Really take it apart. Okay, verse 26 after the 62 sevens, which is the 62 and the seven, meaning 69, after the 483 years, the Anointed One, the Messiah, who, by the way, has several different titles, and this is a rare place where he's actually called the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah. The Anointed One, will be, this is in the Greek, kara, uh, in Hebrew, sorry, karat, which means killed. It literally means cut off. Okay. So for Jews reading, oh, the Messiah will be what? Put to death. It's capital punishment. This is hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. He's predicting the Messiah is going to show up. And right after he shows up, he's going to be put to death. It turns out the 69 times 7 When you do the math, and I'll explain it in a second, you come to Palm Sunday. That's the only time when Jesus goes out of his way to orchestrate, here I am, the Messiah. The Messiah is predicted in Zechariah to ride in on a donkey. The Jews, some of them, get it and say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees also know what's being said, and they tell him in Luke and I think in Mark, hey, Jesus, shut your disciples up. That's blasphemy. And he says, if, I, if, the, if they're quiet, even the stones will cry out. In Luke, and we may have to look at this next time because we're going to run out of time. In Luke, I'll show you next week, where um, Jesus says to the Jews that judgment's coming on them because you didn't recognize the day your visitation you didn't get out your calculator and figure it out because 483 years 69 times 7 from when artaxerxes gave that command you come to now scholars disagree but it's either 30 a.d or 32 a.d spring passover Sound. Now, did somebody claim to be the Messiah around then who died shortly after he was presented? Yeah, the same week. He comes in on, on Sunday. He's killed on Friday, right? Let's keep reading. How many are totally confused still? Okay, a few. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one, verse 26, will be put to death and will have nothing. You say, wait, have nothing? Well, his family deserted him. His disciples deserted him. The Jews said, crucify him. He didn't have a house and a big bank account. They stripped him naked and crucified him. He had nothing. Well, he had his father. No, he didn't even have that. My God, my God, why have you what? He has nothing so that you can be and I can be rich in the things that matter. Not I don't mean money spiritual things. And, and he will have nothing. I'm still in the middle, middle of 26. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Okay, wait, what's going on here? This is a different prince or ruler. Somebody that's going to come in the future. This is Antichrist. Okay, well, what can you tell us about Antichrist? I've told you last week, read Revelation 13, 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2. But here we get what most people think is a good clue about is nationality. Who destroyed the city and the sanctuary in 70 AD? The Romans. Titus, right? The Roman Empire came and destroyed Jerusalem. God punishing the Jews for saying no thanks to their Messiah in 70 AD. Roughly 40 years later. 40 is the number of judgment in the Bible. Okay, Well, who was he? The Roman emperor. In all the prophecies of Daniel, when there's kingdoms, what have we seen? There's the head of gold, which is the Babylonian empire. Then there's the Medo-Persian empire, the silver. Then there's the brass, which is the Greek empire. Then there's the iron, which is the Roman empire. And then there's that last one, which is the feet, which are iron mixed with clay. Most scholars think this is a revived later on future history roman empire that antichrist will be in charge over now you say well we got the 69 weeks and that comes out to the day folks to when jesus rides in on a donkey showing himself he arranges it remember he tells them where to go the disciples there'll be a guy with a donkey take the donkey if the guy says anything just say the messiah needs it the the son of man needs it remember all that he arranges it that day Now he's saying after the 62 sevens, indeed, five days later from Sunday to Friday, the anointed one will be put to death and have nothing cut off. The people of the ruler who will come, the future antichrist, his people, the Romans will come and destroy Jerusalem and the temple. And they did. Remember, Jesus said it'll be torn stone from stone. It was. Lucky guess, coincidence, the end will come like a flood. He doesn't mean a flood of water. He means a flood of soldiers into Jerusalem. Shocking what they did. They crucified thousands upon thousands of Jews. They um, closed off the city and the rest of the people that were in in the city, they starved them to death. I won't go into details, but it's gross and gruesome. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. You say If I'm Daniel, I'm going, yay, we get to go back to our land, but wait a minute, what's going to happen to the Jews and to the temple? Why? The answer is Messiah showed up and most of the Jews yelled, crucify him, right? They said, no, we will not have this man to rule over us. The high priest said, remember, let his blood be on us and on our descendants. Ouch. Ouch. Why have the Jews been um, so uh, in such a state of um, extreme suffering for all these years? Because God is trying to get them to see you refused your Messiah. Will they? Yes. Zechariah says they'll eventually, in the end times, look on me whom they have pierced. And mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. I'm running out of time. I, I want to finish this and then we'll go circle back. Um, now I'm going to put up this little thing for those of you on Zoom. Don't laugh. It's really silly, but it's a diagram that's going to look like it's behind me. I hope I can do this. Mm-hmm. There it is. Okay. Now, can you, those of you online, can you read what's behind me here? S- somebody's thumbs up or yes. Okay. So what's behind me is, a timeline just like the one you guys see here on the left is the starting date for our, um, uh, 69 times seven, 483 years. Do you see it there? It's either 444 or 445 BC. I won't bore you with the details, by the way, there's a guy named Sir Robert Anderson. Um, he was the head of Scotland yard. He was a Christian. Okay. Early 1900s. He spent years and he wrote a book, um, outlining, all the proof for what I'm about to tell you that that order was given 445. He said 445 BC, I believe. Okay, 69 times seven is 483. Um, let me go to this view so I can see my thing bigger speaker view. Nope, wrong one. Okay, never mind. I'll just do that. Okay, so what he did was he calculated that when you figure out that time, you come to. Um, He said April 6, 32 AD, okay, Palm Sunday, five days before the Passover, full moon, figured all of that. Okay, how did he do the math, you ask? The Jews counted a year as 360, listen, days, okay, 360, okay. You have to also count for leap years, which he figured in. You have to remember that from 1 BC to 1 AD is not two years, because there's no year zero, right? He figured all of this in, and um, he comes to the exact date when Jesus shows himself, presents himself as Messiah. And at first, you remember when you read that in the Gospels, what happens? People are saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? They're rejoicing, our Messiah's here. It doesn't take long, and they're yelling, crucify him. Okay, so I'm gonna move. Let me see. I'll move out of the way this way. What you can see there um, is uh, the triumphal entry. Do you see that uh, on the diagram here? Okay, so the 69 times seven, 493 years, is up to the moment when Jesus marches into Jerusalem. That's Passion Week. He teaches the apostles a bunch of stuff. He eventually is what? According to verse 26 cut off. Notice it's not right then. It's verse 26 after the 62 sevens. Doesn't tell us how long. Turns out it was about five days later The Messiah is killed and we'll have nothing. And then the next thing is the people, the ruler who will come, the Romans are going to destroy the city and the sanctuary to judge Israel. That happens about 40 years later. You say, okay, but that's 69 out of 70. What happened the next seven years? God paused the clock. Okay. As soon as Jesus came, died on the cross, rose from the dead, he paused the clock. What's he waiting for? How many years do we have left? 77s. We've done 69. That leaves one seven-year period. You with me? That's what we call the seven-year what? Great tribulation. Jesus calls it in Matthew 24. When is that? some, there are scholars that say it happened around 70 AD. Okay. And all the prophecies of revelation and all the prophecies here all occurred way back then. It's all over. Okay. Um, and so the majority of scholars believe that the pause is what's blue on the timeline and what is blue on your screen, the church age. Do you see that? He's paused his dealing with Israel. Why? Because they said, no, thanks to the Messiah. The church Gentiles are grafted in and some believing Jews are grafted in. This is the church age an und- indeterminate amount of time. It's been paused. Okay. Now, when will the last seven years, by the way, this isn't to scale, obviously, because that's a long church age, 2000 years, right? The church age. Uh, ends and the seven-year tribulation begins when antichrist comes to power what's his name i don't know okay but you can we've talked about that in the past he's a world leader that will control the whole world has that happened yet no have men tried absolutely right nobody controls the whole world there will be a one world government and it won't be good The Antichrist, we said last week, is Satan in a man's body, basically. A man controlled by Satan, given power by Satan. He's able to do miraculous things, summon fire from the sky. He demands worship. But for the first three and a half years, half of that time, this figure is given in Revelation over and over again as 1260 days. It's given as 42 months. It's given as three and a half years. Those are all the same thing, if you figure it out. Okay? The first half... He's the greatest thing that's ever come on the face of the earth. He stops the wars. He feeds the hungry. He probably heals diseases. He's probably got vaccines you can use. No, don't get me started on that. Okay. He, um, he is an extremely incredible speaker. He's charismatic. He's brilliant. He's a military genius. He takes over. However, he makes a pact with the Jews and says, you can worship again. You can do your thing. Sacrifice. Halfway through, three and a half years in, he breaks his deal with the Jews, okay? And says, nope, no more sacrifice. Um, Verse 27, he will confirm a covenant with many, that's the Jews, for one seven. That's that 70th seven, you with me? In the middle of the seven, three and a half years, he'll put an end to sacrifice, and offering. He's going to stop all the, no more sacrifices to your Jewish God, I'm him worship me. That's what he's going to say. Read Revelation 13, not now, but when you go home. He will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple in Jerusalem, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him, which is Christ returns and stops him, right? He is going to the abomination that causes desolation is thought to be him in the temple of the Jews saying, no more worship of God, worship, bow to me. Okay, you got to read Revelation 13 and Second Thessalonians for more on that. Matthew 24 is a good place to go. Maybe we'll do those three next week because I'm rushing through time-wise. Okay, do you see the timeline? Halfway in that tribulation period here and on the diagram right over there... It's all backwards. It looks like it's over here, but it's over there for me. Halfway through, do you see? Abomination of desolation. That's when all hell breaks loose. The first half of the tribulation ain't great, but the second half is absolutely the worst period in human history for suffering. Because at the same time, God is pouring out judgment on Israel to get their attention, and there's some of them coming to faith. At the same time, Antichrist is pouring out his wrath on, guess who? You, Christians, and Jews, okay? So it is the ultimate war between we finally have a one world government, yay, peace. We finally have a man in power. It ain't good, folks. All these empires we've seen, the Greek empire, it wasn't good. They're all beasts in God's eyes. Remember last week? Same with the Roman empire, the biggest beast of all. Um, let's see. So um, now I'm going to read notes like crazy. So the Antichrist is, you know, instead of Christ, he's against Christ, but he's also in, instead of Christ. Uh, we talked about that. He's the other prince. Uh he betrays the Jews. He makes a deal with them. They feel like they're secure. They can worship, maybe rebuild their temple. Um, okay. What the diagram you see on Zoom and what you folks see here. Um, oh, I do have it here, but I don't have it. I couldn't fit it on the screen and make it readable for Zoom. Where you see uh, on, at the extreme, the side of the Zoom thing, my hand disappears, how weird. It says second coming. Do you see that here, class? After the second coming is the millennium, or is it okay? We have to talk about the millennium next week, and there are four views on the millennium. Some say there's no millennium, there's no thousand years, it's just a symbolic period, right? As, as soon as Christ um, comes, um, some are premillennialists. Okay, some are post millennialists. Post millennialists believe, uh, I'll tell you this more next week, but they believe that human history, things are going to get better and better and better, and the Christians are going to evangelize the world and become the dog and not the tail. We're going to really evangelize the world. It's going to get better and better, and then Christ is going to return. The ones that say there's no literal thousand years, most of them feel that we are in the millennium. Right now, the church age is the millennium. I'll show you next week the differing views. I'll give you my two cents of opinion, which is worth barely that. Um, I'm sure you have questions. You'll get the notes, which are much more in detail. Um, then I'm giving you verbally here. Uh, If you don't get the email with the notes, you can email me and ask for it. In that email is the link to watch this video again, as if you didn't have enough punishment. And also there's an audio version of this that shows up tomorrow, the next day each week on the church website, Oakhurst Evangelical Free Church. Uh, I think it's oakhurstevfree.org. Let's see, we're gonna close with prayer and get out of here. I know it's confusing. We'll review it next week, and I'll talk about the millennium a little more and some details I'm sure I left out. Let's pray, and we'll get out of here, shall we? Thank you, Father, for this time we could be in your word, and what better place is there, especially when our country is in the condition it's in. Make us like Daniel, God, willing to pray. And confess our sin and the sin of our country we have sinned against you father we are so sorry we pray for your grace that you'd remember your remnant here the believers in America draw us to your word as Daniel was and saw the prophecy of Jeremiah and and got more revelation thank you that prayer is heard by you and sometimes immediately you send an angel and sometimes you send an answer years later. We just trust you that you know the right time to answer our prayers. In the meantime, God, we don't know if this stuff is a hundred years away, a thousand years away, or right around the corner uh, in our world, but boy, it just seems like a lot is going on right now. Um, we pray that you would prepare us for a time such as this, if we're to be alive when it happens, God. Next week, we'll talk about the rapture as well. Help me to remember that, Father. In the meantime, use us for your glory. Help us to understand and to live with eternity in our sights, God, because it could be right around the corner. Thank you for the truth that you didn't leave us in the dark. You gave us a really good picture of what to expect And we know that you're with us through it all. And we give you praise and glory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you all on Zoom for being here. I've got to sign off now and say a quick hello and goodbye to these people. We'll see you next week. Email me if you have questions. um, And thank you for being here. God bless you.